what we have now is indictment number four. This is, well, this is getting silly. Except this Georgia indictment, which is being treated as as a, a RICO case. This is a racketeering case. Giuliani being charged in a RICO case has incredible amounts of irony to it. If you know his history in New York. But this DA, Fannie Williams, is going to try 19 defendants together. Does that mean that if she can get something on someone, that's what's going to do in Trump? What is the desperation to get Trump at this stage of the game with four indictments in four different places? But what about the other side of the coin? Exactly what is in this indictment? How is it different from the January 6th or the Alvin Bragg indictments? Well, one of the ways is that those indictments are about stretching the law to match going after the guy. In this, there's a story. The question is, is that story criminal? Guys, welcome to the show. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Good to be with you. I bring in William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor in the Mind Behind LegalInsurrection.com. Um, you, you, they threw the kitchen sink at this mother, sir. They threw the kitchen sink at President Trump, at Giuliani, at Jenna Ellis, at the former chief of staff, uh, Mark Meadows, at Trump's personal lawyer, John Eastman, who was trying to come up with strategies, ideas, and thoughts, no matter how outrageous you may think they were, uh, about uh, ways Trump can challenge what he thought was a wrongdoing in this election. Break it down for me. What do you see in this case from Georgia, what are they utilizing as uh, their their evidence here? And it, it just as in, uh, in the big overview, how does this differ from, say, the January 6th indictment from special counsel Jack Smith? Yeah, there's a lot of questions. I mean, the Georgia case is throwing the kitchen sink at Trump and over a dozen other people. Uh, that it's kind of a shock and awe strategy from the local district attorney in Atlanta. And it's actually very troubling. Uh, you know, I think that of all the indictments, this is the one that smells the worst to me. This is so openly political. This is so very much trying to criminalize politics, criminalize legal practice, etc. Now it's a 90, almost a hundred page indictment. and haven't committed it to memory, but I have read it. And there are some discrete acts there, which are really not attributable to Trump, uh, such as allegedly impersonating a public official, things like that. Put those aside. Those could have been charged separately. But essentially what they've done is they've weaved together a story taking a lot of perfectly lawful actions and calling it a conspiracy and a racketeering uh, offense. And it's very troubling because it's very chilling. Uh, so John Eastman had theories which I didn't accept at the time. Most people didn't accept, but you know what? That's what lawyers do. Lawyers try to come up with innovative ways to achieve the result for their clients. Same with Jenna Ellis. Uh, there were um, attempts made to influence political actors to go along with Trump. But that's not illegal. That happens all the time. People talk to people to try to convince them. And in this case, nobody was convinced of anything. Uh, there was no end result there. So it, it's extremely troubling 
that she threw so much at so many people. It appears that it's an attempt to take down, you know, the entire Trump movement, as opposed to uh, what the federal charge is, which is only against Trump, relatively narrow compared to this, and really focusing on specific uh, items and specific actions. And so, so what do you, it's just troubling. What do you make of, uh, you know, one of the things that I thought was interesting as people have described this indictment is that certainly in, on January 6th, you had to take the actions of Trump and try and stretch them to reach where there is some possible illegality, or you have to take the law and try and stretch it to connect to Trump. We take a look at Alvin Bragg in New York. You had to stretch what the law was to be able to get to a felony to then be able to get Trump, and it's very barrier in, in, in that sense. You know, the leader of Stalin's secret police, show me the man and I'll show you the crime. That's what Jack Smith seems to be doing in Washington uh, in, with as special counsel. That seems to be what Alvin Bragg, the district attorney, seems to be doing in New York. In Georgia, they do have phone calls. They do have text messages. So in, in, in there's this argument that there is something different in this indictment in that it's not based on a stretch. It's based on the things that actually happened. Do you have that same take? Well, the federal indictment in D.C. says they have text messages and says they have emails and says they have recordings and they have conversations. So what is the difference? What is the, There's really no meaningful difference. Other than in Georgia, there are some, like I said, discrete alleged crimes, impersonating an officer, somehow trying to gain improper access to a computer system. Whether those are proven is a different story. But uh, so that does make Georgia difference. But the core claim of a quote unquote conspiracy to overturn the election is really the same in Georgia as it is in the D.C. lawsuit. So you're going to have two different jurisdictions, one state, one federal, prosecuting essentially the same crime that is permitted because they're different jurisdictions. They're different um, you know, entities. You can have a state crime and a federal crime and they can be prosecuted separately. But it's piling on. I mean, I think that's what it is. If Trump is proven to have unlawfully attempted to overturn the election, as opposed to lawfully. Remember, there are many things that you can do that are lawful to overturn an election. You can challenge them in court. But those court challenges are now part of this indictment. You can challenge them by talking to officials and trying to convince them that they're wrong. That's not illegal, but that's part of this indictment. There's even congressional procedures that you can use to challenge electors. So my concern here is that it's a total piling on for political purposes. Now, that is not a defense of Trump's conduct. I mean, two things can be right at the same time. One is that his conduct was indefensible after his court remedies were exhausted. And I wrote that at Legal Insurrection in mid-December of, of 2020, that it was time to move on towards the next election. So you can condemn his conduct, his obsession, and his false statements about the voter fraud or the voting fraud, uh, and at the same time say they weren't necessarily criminal. And you can't loop in the legal advice he got. You can't loop in the you know political arguments he was making and make it a crime. Now let's uh, get into 
what some of this in indictment uh, says. This right here, uh, the reporting was from the New York Post. The defendants, 30 unindicted co-conspirators and others known and unknown uh, to the grand jury constituted a criminal organization whose members and associates engaged in false statements and writings, impersonating a public officer, forgery, filing false documents, influencing witnesses, computer theft, computer trespass, computer invasion of privacy, conspiracy to defraud the state, acts involving theft and perjury. My God, when we say through the kitchen sink, Adam William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com, that's the kitchen sink. My point earlier about, you know, they may actually have some things because there were phone calls, because there were text messages, is that this seems to be the Hail Mary play, throw everything out there and hopefully grab Trump on one thing. And since you're going after all 19 at the same time under this racketeering rule in Georgia, the, the RICO predicate as I know uh, how, to, how to say it, um, maybe you could just grab someone somewhere and therefore take Trump down. So, so two things, what is this about everybody being charged together because Fannie Williams, the DA there, has said, yes, she's trying everybody at the same time. And is it the kind of situation utilizing that RICO statement, those racketeering statutes, that if they get one, they get everybody? Well, you know, it's not only the 19 people or 18 people who've been charged. It's, as you say, up to 30 additional people, potentially. This reminds me very much of the John Doe investigations in Wisconsin, where they essentially froze for the better part of a year, a Democrat prosecutor, uh, the entire conservative movement in Wisconsin, because they not only went after people, they instilled such fear in throughout the conservative movement and nobody ended up getting convicted of anything, but it was a political ploy. And that's what this smells like. Uh, naming 18 people plus 30 potential more uh, seems like an attempt to freeze the Republican party that, you know, you don't know if you're one of those 30 people. You don't know if the person you're talking to is one of those 30 people. So that's why this smells so bad to me. This looks like an attempt to take down a political party. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm going to interrupt you. I never interrupt you. Go back over that again. You're sure. saying that there are, un she, I think the term utilized is unindicted co-conspirators. Right. And you're saying that the number out there, there's I, I don't know what the number is. You can hit it again. You don't know who it is. You don't know who it could be. So therefore, everybody's going to think that everybody's the unindicted co-conspirator. So they're not going to be able to work together because then Fannie Williams, the DA there in Fulton County, could go after them. Yeah. And, and that's what happened in Wisconsin with what was called the John Doe investigations. I think it was about three years ago. I might be off on the number of years ago, but it wasn't that long ago, three to four years ago, where they essentially froze the entire conservative movement by subpoenaing and raiding the homes of, uh, you know, conservative activists under this John Doe law, which has since been revised dramatically. It was actually thrown out by the Wisconsin Supreme Court, but they froze the whole movement. And so this uh, suggests to me unlike some of the others, that this is an attempt to freeze the Republican Party, to, or at least the half of the Republican Party that supports Donald Trump, that um, 
that half of the party now has to wonder if the person they're talking to and communicating with is having their communications monitored because they're one of these unindicted co-conspirators. So it's a, it's a very, to, to do something this broad with this many people, to me, doesn't smack that you're trying to actually prosecute somebody. See. If somebody broke into a computer system, they could have been separately charged. They could have been charged two years ago. You know, if somebody impersonated an offer, officer, they could have been separately charged. I'm not excusing those crimes. All I'm saying is to wrap them into this huge bundle and to put so many people into it and to have unindicted co-conspirators, uh, to me, looks like they're trying to freeze the half of the Republican Party that supports Donald Trump. Talking to William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. Uh, so in a way, I, I did have the basic understanding. If they can get one, they can get everybody. And if they can get a jury to say, yeah, that guy did something, therefore everybody's guilty of everything, correct? Exactly. And that's the whole, whole point here, that um, if you are in any conspiracy, and RICO is essentially at its core, a conspiracy statute, that anyone who furthers the efforts of the conspiracy, even if what you did yourself was not illegal, could be held for the criminal conspiracy. And, that, and that's what they're trying to do by lumping so many people in. They're taking what for particular individuals might be very weak factual bases. They allege they're part of this criminal enterprise. Uh, now, what they've pleaded for a criminal enterprise wouldn't survive in federal court, I don't believe, but apparently Georgia has more lenient uh, standards when it comes to their RICO statute. And this, and this is this is where the, the rubber meets the road, because your your breakdown, I accept. I, I, I there were some things I didn't wasn't hundred percent sure of, and I think you, you explained it well. And and I very often defer to you and 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 your view of these things, which don't come from a political basis, even though you've got political thoughts and feelings, it comes from here's what it says, here's what it looks like. Because this is Georgia, because this is not a federal indictment, and because this is nothing like the Alvin Bragg case in New York, can Trump avoid jail time or... Is this one that puts Trump in jail? I think they're going to try and put Trump in jail uh, from the indictment from Jack Smith, the special counsel. This in Georgia. Do you think Trump's going to go to jail for this? Well, if he's convicted and, and that we're a ways away from that, uh, you know, if he is convicted, as I understand Georgia law, uh, we're all becoming experts on Georgia law very quickly, is that there are mandatory minimum sentences under the RICO statute. Um, and that they can't be pardoned by the governor, uh, that uh, you'd have to go through a commission there, a pardon commission, and you have to serve a certain percentage of your time. So it does, and it can't be pardoned by the president of the United States. So, you know, Alvin Bragg um, is a completely garbage indictment. I think everybody knows that. Um, this one, if it goes through, it will have to survive the Georgia court system. Uh, and I think the U.S. Supreme Court would take a case involving this state RICO statute, although the Supreme Court doesn't won't interpret state law. Um, it will see whether any federal rights have been violated. And what I think is, if I had one overall take on what's happening, is how outrageous it is that local prosecutors 
can involve themselves in charging crimes in federal elections when you've already got the Department of Justice doing the same thing. This looks like, uh, you know, Georgia is trying to create a backstop that if for some reason the federal suit against Trump fails, that Georgia will be waiting there as a second shot at him. My conversation with William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, LegalInsurrection.com, continues because he said something there that I couldn't believe. Um, You can't pardon? Well, now we're talking about the difference between state law and federal law. And what is Trump's defense? I will share that with you coming up. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today.